0: Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, keeping it real with Melody podcast. Melody is a classic dreamer who started as a flight attendant and worked her way to now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and dynamic entrepreneur in various industries. This podcast is for the dreamers and doers. Learn how to think, act, and speak big as business leaders share how they turned from dreamers to leaders. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Melody. If you are tired of the boring and conventional coaching programs out there, this episode is for you. Our guest is a speaker, author, coach, podcaster who uses Greek mythology to help business professionals monetize and magnetize professional freedom. He graduated in uh, Columbia Law School and was an attorney for 20 years, also worked in several senior executive roles for different government agencies and nonprofit organizations before he grew and scaled a manufacturing company. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's welcome Scott Mason. Hey, Scott. Welcome to the show.
1: you. It is so good to be here.
0: Glad to have you here. All right, so let's uh, dive in. So if you could share with our audience backstory of how you started this new venture.
1: Well, it's actually my fourth life. I worked as an attorney and an executive for a number of different large organizations, government, nonprofit. Um, and then I went into entrepreneurship with my first company, which was a uh, apparel um, and accessory uh, printing company, and was able to successfully grow that. After that ended, I initially began a new life as an entrepreneur, providing support and guidance to other small businesses that were looking to grow and scale in the way that that printing company had. But over time, I began to realize that that's not really where my heart was. And it wasn't really where I could see my dreams ultimately being fulfilled. So I moved into a different
0: direction. And here I am talking to you today. I love it. So fourth reinvention, right? And maybe another fifth and sixth. uh, (laughs) Who knows, right? It's all about um, evolution to our higher self, right, Scott?
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's what dreams are, ever-evolving impetus for us to become something greater and different than before.
0: I so agree with you. That resonates uh with me. How many times have I reinvented myself? <laughs> but uh with that, I think I do it also simultaneously, where you know you're you're kind of dabbling into all to all these, which I think is also a challenge with me, because instead of being that Nova superstar that that one could be, you know, a legend because you're just hyper focused on one. Um, you know, that's where I think my personal ch- challenge <laughs> is evolving horizontally.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you're very creative. And that is one of the challenges that can come with create, you know, with creativity, as well as being someone that has a wide range of interests. And there is a richness to life that someone that has had your diversity of experience as well as mine can have that is its own reward of a different sort.
0: Wow. So with, um, with that journey, Scott, and especially this is, uh, I'm pretty sure you've been asked this a lot, but now it's me asking you because <laughs> I want to get it straight from you. A lot of people, uh, that's their dream to, to get to Columbia, get, you know, scholarship, finish and have a law degree, be an attorney. Um, so what was the trigger point for you to say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm, uh, jumping, uh, off the board and doing something else. What was that trigger point for you? There were
1: a couple of things. First of all, almost immediately upon entering law school, I realized that there was a little bit of a dissonance. But in actual practice, that dissonance became a little gap that exploded into an uncrossable valley. And that dissonance was between my fundamental nature as someone who likes to build, who likes to create, who likes to be Uh part of making something happen, as opposed to coming in afterwards and cleaning up the mess, which is what litigation was, or else just facilitating other people creating, which is what corporate or transactional work was. So there was, number one, this dissonance that as I got deeper and deeper into that phase of my life became more and more untenable for me. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing goes as to your show's theme of dreams and dreamers in the large organizations that I particular that I worked in particularly in the first iteration of my life that was in government entities dreams were repeatedly crushed the organizational management that i endured was indescribably abusive at the times hmm. and Not only did that begin to shatter my own belief that my dreams could ever happen, but after a while, I also just got sick of it. I'll never forget, ever, one day I was standing in front of my boss talking, and this was an agency head, talking about a proposal that she had with a bunch of my colleagues and my staff in the room. Everyone agreed with what I was saying. In fact, I had been appointed the person to say what I was going to say to my boss by, my, by the other people at my own level. Uh-huh. I explained to her why we didn't want this particular action to happen, why it was dangerous for her, the constituents that we served, as well as the agency. She said, Scott, you know, when you open your mouth and talk, you sound so stupid. If I were you, I'd put a gun in my mouth and shoot. Talk about a point where I said enough is enough. At that point, I realized the minute that I invested in my pension, I was out the door.
0: That that's a uh, borderline verbal abuse, <laughs> I think. That's that's horrible. Uh, but you know what? Thanks to her, you that maybe was the last uh, straw that uh, broke the camel's back type of thing, right? Absolutely. But with a lot of uh, a lot of decisions, especially if it is that. Um, that remarkable with law school and suddenly jumping into something so different—it's usually a series of uh, of events, right? It's not just one particular uh, moment. So, with those reinventions, Scott, what were the major challenges that you have faced, and how did you overcome those?
1: Beautiful question. You go to a certain level in large organizational life. And due to the environment that you're in, for instance, my final government job, I had a huge office. It was bigger than my apartment. I had my own closet in it. And I overlooked the Hudson River and you would get to see- Wow!
0: wow.
1: It was stunning.
0: You felt like you have arrived maybe?
1: (laughs) Exactly. And people give you a certain level of respect. I mean, if I said I wanted something done, Everyone's dropped what they were doing and it got done. So you are invested in the status that you are in, but you also, your vision narrows. You believe that everything that you've learned to get where you are, all of those skills, all of that knowledge is all that you need to know. You go particularly into entrepreneurship and you realize how much you don't know. Now, I had another step between entrepreneurship in which I worked in the not for profit sector. Even then, my eyes were opened as to the level of my ignorance. But it wasn't until I got into entrepreneurship that I began to envision the knowledge that I had accumulated through my whole life as a plane that was behind me, me standing on a cliff with a vast ocean in front of me. That ocean was of endless depth and of indescribable length. And that was what I didn't know. I hadn't realized that that lack of awareness of how much I didn't know was the biggest challenge. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's the, it's the um, openness and that humility to know that you don't know enough, or there's so much to know that you just don't know. (laughs) I feel is a, uh, it's also um, a trait that would help propel one and be not resting on your laurel and always be seeking to improve and to learn more. Right, Scott? (laughs) So
1: very true. You know, one thing that really helped me though in that regard was I started taking uh, martial arts classes, Uh jujitsu. And I would say that my ego... When I started taking those classes, which was after I'd left these government jobs, but before I went into the next sector, was too big to sort of accept what you're saying. But after a few smackdowns on that martial <laughs> art, <laughs> all of which could only be explained by my lack of knowledge and my lack of skill, I had to open up to the fact that I didn't know everything. It's humbling. So uh,
0: did you say jiu-jitsu? Yes. Oh, nice. So you have your black belt, right? Oh,
1: no. I, I did it for about seven years and I got a brown belt. Then my schedule got too busy for me to be able to consistently practice. So it is my eternal shame that I'm stuck as a brown belt. With oh,
0: brown, brown belt. but you know what? To get to brown, was it like 20 years? It takes uh, forever to get a stripe with uh, jiu-jitsu. It
1: sounds like you might have been through some jiu-jitsu or know some people today. It's it's hard work.
0: It's super hard work. My son, actually, he's uh, he's eight years old. And, and and you know that's so funny that you you mentioned that cuz i told him the other day can you ask your um your instructor when you're going to get your next <laughs> stripe cuz it's been like how many months now uh from the last stripe <laughs> but um it does take a while i did take up uh Hapkido, Hapkido really? up to yellow belt <laughs> right. but hey right it's still a different color than white
1: and that's- <laughs> That's past the first class, which a lot of people can't ever do
0: and it's uh it teaches you so much you know, and it also builds confidence and and, and all that that's necessary for for life right <laughs> so uh when you were going through all those changes, Scott and for our viewers out there who are uh on the verge of um really making that decision, especially with a great uh great resignation that's going on right now with this uh, post-pandemic phase of economy. Uh, What would you say to them when, um, of course, leaving the comfort zone is always uh, uncomfortable? (laughs) What would you say to them to continue to forge ahead, perhaps, if that's really the calling?
1: Number one, the risk. That is invisible is often the greatest risk of all. The risk of not moving ahead is the invisible risk. Think about it from my own experience, having worked in government. If I had not had my assessment of the risk adjusted, I could have easily been a person not on this podcast, energized and laughing with my new best friend, i.e. you. I would be some bureaucrat wearing a blue suit that was all tired and tattered with a boring red tie every day until I retired and then the world would forget me. And by the way, Melody, my mentor who I worked for and inspired me during my entire time in government who believed in me when no one else did sometimes, he spent his entire life doing that trajectory, I'll never forget when he said, I looked in the um, window of the subway and saw my reflection, and I was that balding older guy in a boring gray suit. He told me that after he retired, he realized absolutely nothing that he did could not have been done by someone else, and there was no need for him to have been there doing anything that he did for his entire career. What a criminal risk. In fact, I would say that is a risk to our fundamental ethical nature because we've been given gifts and history and experience to give to this world and if you have squandered that by just doing something anyone else can't you've committed an ethical crime uh-huh. that's
0: what i would saying and you know what I think it was Mark Twain that said the greatest tragedy is not death but living a life without purpose and and I know that you have um You still have the podcast today. Today is what Uh, (laughs) April April 50th day almost. (laughs) Um, You talked a lot about, um, or the theme is about passion, right? Um, Is there like a a formula that you have distilled from from uh, for one to maybe even fast forward uh, finding that elusive uh, deeper meaning or passion? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that. Yes. (laughs) I'm eager to know. (laughs) Thank
1: you. And I'm sure you've got a lot to say about it yourself. But purpose is experience times gifts plus service. That is what I call the purpose formula. However, I want to emphasize purpose alone does not lead us to where we need to be in life. Purpose has to be combined with a strong sense and connection to our inner truth values. Because you can have a purpose that's malicious. You can have a purpose. Adolf right. Hitler, purpose.
0: Uh-huh. 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 not
1: good enough. He was disconnected from any reasonable inner truth values. It can be more mundane. It could be that your purpose, for instance, is to work in museums. But your values are such that you want to be home at five every night and with your family. Right. And right, causes a disconnect. So I strongly urge, and my journey studying purpose through my podcast has led to a very deep commitment. Purpose is a formula, yes, but has to be tied to values and ethics.
0: I agree with you. So like the, the librarian scenario that you mentioned there, my favorite quote on, uh, or definition of success is, um, I think Earl Nightingale's definition, where uh, it's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal right and that means it could be it's so relative whatever it is for the librarian or the nasa scientist right so it's relative and success is defined by 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 you you know the individual absolutely absolutely So, so with your coaching right? Uh, what do you think makes you unique considering, um, you know, it is the most, um, the most, it, it mushroomed like crazy during the pandemic, you know, all the, you know, coaching um, person that would say that they are a coach of X or Y. What makes Scott Mason uh, remarkable and unique? Thank you. Two
1: things. Number one, I bring to the table and make sure that my clients are served by the full gravitas of my experience. I have, at the risk of sounding arrogant here, a Columbia Law School degree. I have been... Second in command of a government agency that brought in $100 million worth of revenue and afterwards sat on the C suite of the country's largest domestic violence shelter services nonprofit. And I have actual entrepreneurial, successful entrepreneurial experience. So the package and the gravitas that my clients have told me that I bring to the table, as well as the intellectual force that comes with that sort of experience, I'm thrilled to serve them with and they've expressed a lot of appreciation for. That's number one. Number two, though, the program and the approach that I have is unique. And I challenge people to disagree with me about this. I coach specifically around monetizing and magnetizing professional freedom by dislodging toxic myths and igniting the charisma within. And I bring the full uh, uh, vastness of my professional experience and combine that with a deep interest in, knowledge of, and understanding of um, the fun, excitement and deeper meanings of Greek mythology to provide a very one-of-a-kind framework for transformational coaching. And so I think the two of those things together really provide a differentiator that I'm excited to be able to offer to those in the world who need the services of life, of people like me.
0: So listening to you, I totally could see the uniqueness in how different uh, your program is, number one, is that broad spectrum of your life experiences from legal to government um, to all the different entrepreneurship uh, ventures that right. you have actually uh, gone through. So so it's real. It's real life uh, experience that you bring to the table. So A, it's that broad spectrum. And this is my favorite. It's you bringing in and tying in the mythological uh, aspect of um, the Greek gods uh, into this picture. So, talk to us about about that. Why do you think that that's something that you urge uh, business professionals to look into having an avatar uh, as their hero, perhaps, or to inspire them? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: thank you. And what a great question. These stories began and were widely told thousands of years ago. They still persist and speak to our culture. And you're nodding because you know it's true after all these years. Why is that? It's because the lessons that they teach, the deeper meanings that are easy for us to gloss over, are real. The gods and goddesses didn't just come into the imagination of the Greeks and continue to burn themselves in our imagination for no reason, but because they speak to things that are inside every last Right, right. So if we understand that, we can aspire to be that Olympian. And I do believe if we want to be a successful entrepreneur, we can't just, you always hear I'm on the hero's journey. Not good enough. You need to become an Olympian. Olympian.
0: Awesome. Hey, so what is your, uh, what is your avatar?
1: My avatar is Helios, the
0: unconquerable
1: sun, the guardian of oaths. Helios by driving the sun chariot up to the top of the sky and then descending every night is someone that constantly reinvents himself no matter how dark. Not only that, but think about it. Lies, dishonesty, unethical behavior cannot withstand the sunlight. And that's why people would sp- take oaths under and in the name that's of fair. And so it is bringing out and being responsible for ethical guardianship within the community that Helios operates in and, and really being committed to that. And finally, Helios was on a mission every day that wasn't about him Helios, the sun, is about providing light in the world. It's, per, it's about nurturing plant life. It's about sustaining the very essence of what makes Earth so special. And that speaks to me.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, who, who would think that that particular character would have so much profound, prolific uh, meaning? But hey, wow. Uh, also, also, I think um, how you were able to differentiate yourself. Uh using that, and really if one if one really steps back, they could then say that with uh with all these uh mythological creature and all of the storytelling as you've mentioned that has passed through generation that until now is still very much true it is um it's one of the most powerful tool to to teach you know to teach because of the the human aspect, the natural phenomenon, um, characters and traits of deities and titans that one can then emulate, right? And be someone extraordinary.
1: (laughs) Yes, which as entrepreneurs, I would argue that we have an obligation to be.
0: And um, just to kind of, uh, you know, piggyback a little bit on that, I have this study group and um, I propose to name it uh, Athena. So, so now it's still Athena, uh, wisdom and protectress, uh, and all that good stuff. But before that, in my younger years, and we talked about evolution. And I think as I evolve, I also have evolved my avatars.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: So Aphrodite was first, you know, ah. love and beauty, yep. and then the Athena, and then you know, just kind of going through your material, I'm thinking, I think I like Hermes. <laughs> I, I'm liking him now um, because, you know, with my my brand, uh, with Runway, Hermes, so in two aspects, Hermes has actually transcended, you know, yes. time as a brand to still tell the story of what, you know, luxury, you know, footwear, whatever leather uh, goods that they have that still resonates uh, of, you know, quality and luxury and what have you. So I respect, I respect that company and, um, and then travel, you know, I I think I shared with you, I have a a travel uh, blog. I used to be a flight attendant. So that's very much, you know, something that, um, ignites me. So that, and then trade and wealth, (laughs) uh, are kind of what, uh, he symbolizes. (laughs) Well, There's
1: a couple of other things that are relevant to this conversation and why I see this as a very strong avatar for you. First of all, he also was the god of communication. He was the messenger of the gods. And so communication was a fundamental part of what he does, just as it is part of what you do as a podcaster. And number two, thinking about the product that you sell his talisman was a pair of magical shoes that can hurt your fly. That's
0: right. That's right. Because Mercury was, <laughs> I think, um, like the AKA, right? Yep. Or,
1: They're the same. Exactly. Uh-huh.
0: I love it. Love it. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> See, that sealed it in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are now.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, you also talked about toxic myths. Yes. So um, can you elaborate on that and how that could be sabotaging uh, a venture?
1: Absolutely. As mentioned earlier, myths have resonated with us for thousands of years because they are stories that speak to our fundamental experiences as human beings. We can adopt myths, and those ultimately drive our lives. There are five general types of myths. Now. Actually, stepping back a minute, there's no generally um, agreed upon taxonomy of myths out there. However, based on my own research and reading of it, there there are these five types that I see um, as representing uh, some sort of negative storyline in the historical myths that are directly applicable to the lives that we live today. Number one, the tragic origin myth which states that the circumstances of your life are determined by the situation in which you were born in or grew up to. So you can get a lot of victim mentalities coming out of that. Number two, the ritual myth, which is a myth that the explanation for our behaviors justifies our actions in the future. It's toxic. Why something happened to us does not justify, may explain, but does not justify behavior. Number three, the underworld myth. This is the belief that any of us are destined to live in spiritual or emotional darkness. The apocalyptic myth is number four, which is that we're living in an eternal set of doomsdays and everything I'm going to touch fails. And then number five, the social myth, which is that we are destined or that we should live out the social expectations of others. If you're living in any of these toxic myths, you're going to be holding yourself back.
0: I agree, yes. Um, So with those myths that you uh, enumerated, what would be good to A... Um, stop it and replace it with, with something else.
1: Yeah. First, understand what's driving those myths. Understand that you have the myths, first right. of all, if you're living in them, acknowledge it. And then number two, understand what's driving them. Usually we have some sort of role that we're playing in the myth that is ultimately causing it to be toxic. The common sort of negative roles are um, villain, or monster, or victim, or bystander, or fool. Once you identify your role and begin to shift into a more positive role, and there's three specific roles based in myth that people can step into, then it's important to create a new mythological foundation, a new book of myths for yourself. And this ties back into some of the questions that you asked earlier. One, we want to dig into our past. We want to visit an oracle and figure out who and what our vision for our future might have been before we were clouded by these myths. Number two, connect to your unique purpose. Number three, identify your Herculean strengths. And then number four, tie it all together and write that new book of myths that is your vision for tomorrow. It's an exciting process.
0: I know, I, I could really see the fun excitement and deeper meaning, finding deeper meaning in, um, in what we do. Uh, this part I also like uh, with what you touch on a lot. Uh, in your social media, and in some of your contents, which is the much-loaded word, charisma. (laughs) How how does that um, relate to the business environment? I'm actually going to use
1: you as an example. Part of the reason I was so excited about being on this podcast, and why I consider it such a privilege, is that I observed you on social media. Why did you get my attention out of everyone else that's out there? Because we all know there's millions of people on every social media channel. Something caused me to focus on you. It's because of the gift that you have.
0: The MS in me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. You have look look, part of why we remember the Olympians today is because they have charisma. Uh-huh. You have it. If we don't have charisma as entrepreneurs, or I would say as anyone in the world, even if you're working in an organization and you want to get advancement, if you're sitting around like a drone in a corner that no one notices, you ain't going anywhere. Charisma is the tool to be able to magnetize opportunity and ultimately monetize a better future for yourself. It's relevant to everything.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. from someone who's an expert in charisma. <laughs> but you know what? Um, you also touched on the word invisible uh, a while ago. And um, as they say, charisma is um, the invisible energy that uh, that produces visible result, right? It's the fragrance of the soul. So that's what attracted you.
1: <laughs>
0: Digitally, you could smell the fragrance of the soul.
1: <laughs> it's amazing what we can do on Zoom these days.
0: Right, right. So, uh, so how does one, how does one cultivate that, you think?
1: Four-step process.
0: Ooh, talk to me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure our audience out there would, would want that. Thank you. I hope
1: hope they find it useful. Number one, do a charismatic self-assessment. Now, When we do self assessments, it can be easy to focus on the negative and the things that we need to improve. I actually think that that's a misbegotten approach. I urge people to focus on the little charismatic gems, the seeds that they have that are kind of interesting and cool. Yeah, you you know what I'm talking about. I saw the facial, right? And then build those out. So that's process solution step number one. Number two, understand your message. Understand and be intentional about your message. Focus your brain in every aspect of your communication on what you're trying to communicate, not just on the words or how you express them, but on what you're trying to say underneath it all. Number three, connect that to your heart. Imagine there being a pipe between your heart and your mind with a little spigot maybe in your throat that you unleash, go out. And then number four, under no circumstances turn away from that power once it's released. No matter if you're being ridiculed, no matter if you're being laughed at, no matter what people are saying. If you have that self-assurance tied to the connection between the heart and the brain and an understanding of your presentation gifts that are unique to you, you have charisma.
0: Charisma. So so that. That explains also um, the definition of, uh, of charisma, right? It's the compelling charm that inspires devotion. So yeah. imagine if uh, if you have that power, and then you know, unleashing that power to then have that um, attracting or inspiring devotion, maybe from a your staff, your team. Exactly. But I think more importantly to yourself, right? <laughs>
1: Exactly. And you raise really embedded in that remark. I love talking to you because there's so much richness in what you say. Embedded in that remark is a refutation of a common understanding of charisma. Charisma is often interpreted as merely being exciting or dramatic or loud. Now, in the Greek myths, the god Zeus had an affair with a mortal woman named Simile. And Zeus's wife was jealous. She pretended to be an old lady and went down to poor Simile and said, well, how do you know that that man you had an affair with was really the king of the gods? Anyone can say that they're the king of the gods. And Simile said, oh, that's kind of true. So she went to Zeus and she demanded that he prove that he was the king of the gods. And he at first balked, but she insisted. So he said, okay. And then he revealed himself in all of his Olympian glory and similarly burnt to a crisp in an oh. There's a powerful message there. The charisma. Lightning was literally on Zeus's skin. He was so bright, his eyes were so blinding that her mortal body could not withstand it. Charisma isn't just a big, dramatic presence in the room or loudness. It is exactly that substance being tied to it and the ability to attract a positive result. Zeus was big and dramatic in that moment, but the result was the destruction of someone he loved. Ooh. That's not charisma.
0: Ooh. Right, hey, just um just listening to you, listening to you, I could see how using mythological um characters could be very powerful uh, for teaching because of the storytelling aspect. so it it could really totally engage one, right? And to tie it in in business, how do you create a powerful brand, right? And it's through that compelling storytelling that resonates and engages people and attracts people uh, to your brand, right? So, so I, I see how this could be very, very powerful uh, for especially someone that's in um, transition in their in their journey, right? For, for reinvention. So, so uh, Scott, for our audience out there who. And, and I, I told you, there's a good chunk of, of those that are very much on the verge of are the crossroads of what they want to do uh, yes. in their life, right? Um, how can they reach you? What is the best way for them to reach you and avail of uh, your workshops and, and all the good contents that you have, Scott? Yeah, I appreciate
1: that. First of all, my dominant platforms are Instagram and LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, look me up at s.scottmason. S. Scott Mason. On Instagram, it's s.scott underscore mason. S.scott underscore mason. DM me via either one of those platforms. If you are someone listening to or watching this and you mention that you heard about me through the Dreamers and Leaders podcast, by the way, I will happily schedule a complimentary one-on-one mythological consultation with you, in which we'll talk about no expectations, no obligations, no nothing, just wanting to talk to you because you're smart enough to um, listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. more than happy to set that up and would uh, be excited
0: to do so. Oh, wow. That would be exciting for for our audience out there. So, uh, hey, before we go, you also touched on Oracle. Yes. Are you really meaning to to say an Oracle Oracle or... uh,
1: Can you expound on that just a little bit before? Yes, I want to make it clear. The ancient Greeks' oracles were prophetesses, and their prophecies always came true. Now, I can't do that for you. (laughs) However, I do believe that the oracle, again, the power of the oracle, you should know, interestingly enough, people would travel from all around the ancient world to see the Oracle, just to have a few minutes with her. They would ask her these questions. She would give these answers. And like I said a minute ago, and as you know, they always came true. What does this symbolize? As is the case with every character in Greek mythology, it's about something inside of us. We each know our inner truth. We each somewhere inside Have an idea about the direction that we're in. Now, that truth may have become scrambled. It may have become buried. It may be unintelligible to us in the moment. But if we're willing to go inside, and that's a lot of what I like to do with my clients. Be that agent for going inside and bringing out their inner oracle. Letting them be an oracle for themselves so they can have that vision for the future. When they have a vision, just like the Oracle did, then we can begin to move into action steps to make it happen. But nothing's happening without a vision first.
0: I love it. Hey, um, I thought for a minute you were going to allude to uh, Warren Buffett being the Oracle of Omaha.
1: (laughs) well, that's a difference.
0: But you know what? I like that part uh, where you said, truly, it's not seeking outside. Yes. So the minute you do your inner work, and you find that gem inside you. And maybe through through your help and um and really a lot of uh, inner reflection is where you find the oracle. So the oracle is not in some Mount Sinai or Mount whatever. <laughs> it's it's within, right? Uh so hey, I really had a great time, Scott, in, in our you know, segment here. Thank you so much uh, for for reaching out and and being part of the show.
1: It was my privilege. You have a fantastic show and I can't wait to
0: see where it goes from here. Love it. Hey, and for all the dreamers out there, keep believing you got this till next time.